You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to the Little Me Podcast. I have an incredible guest today, and I'm very excited to share her story with you. At the age of seven, she made her film debut in The Godfather. She went on to appear in dozens of TV commercials before becoming an understudy in the Broadway production of The Innocents. In 1977, she originated the role of the orphan Kate in the Broadway smash hit musical Annie. In 1978, she replaced Andrew McCardle and became Broadway's second Annie, a role that she would play for a full year. She later appeared in the film The Burning. In 1983, her book, Tomorrow is Today, was released, chronicling her rise to stardom and her battle with leukemia. She's a true Broadway child star legend. Please welcome Shelly Bruce. <laughs> Hi, Shelly. Hey, how are you? How are you? Thank you so much for doing this. You have a hell of a story, so I want to dig in. Absolutely. Tell me about little Michelle Merklinghouse. That's her <laughs> given name, right? What she yeah. was doing around the house that made her parents decide to get her into show business. Let's go back to the beginning. Well, it actually wasn't my parents. This wasn't even on their radar. I used to uh, go to a dancing school. That's called, how it always uh, starts. Yeah. Locker School of Dance. dance. Yes. Yep. And, and the owners were, um, their kids were all in show business and uh, they themselves were like vaudevillian stars back in the day. So they were very like into all that. And they just saw how personable and outgoing I was. And I wasn't like afraid of anybody, you know, so I could go up and do all different things. Um, so they're the ones who actually suggested to my parents that they should try this with me. And uh, I mean, their kids are, I mean, their daughter, Robbie Morgan was in Friday the 13th and their son, you know, Gary is a huge, you know, actor and stuntman. And so, you know, they just kind of brought me into their world and took off from there. So what was the first thing you booked? Well, the first thing I booked was The Godfather. It was like an extra in The Godfather. And I remember it was probably one of the coldest days in Manhattan and it wouldn't snow and this the it called for snow so it was me and another little girl and the mom outside department store with the Santa like the Salvation mm -hmm. Army Santa and um it was so cold my mom actually ended up putting socks on my hands because that's all she had with her and they had a fan and they started blowing back in that day there wasn't like 
really high tech snow. It used to be these little tiny, tiny like plastic squares. Yeah. That when you bloom through a fan, it looked like it was snowing. <laughs> and I remember coming home because I grew up. Um, I grew up in a two family house. My grandparents lived downstairs, and we live upstairs. And I so clearly remember marching in there. And I think I was, I think I was only, I might've only been six and a half. It might've been like really early. And I remember marching that I never going to do this again. <laughs> but you did. So what got, you, what got you back in? I don't know. You know, it's kind of like, I guess it's kind of like childbirth. You say you're never going to do it again. <laughs> there you go. You turn around and there's another kid. It just, I don't know. It was just fun. You and know, so it you was were fun booking- to do. You booked like over 50 commercials. Like you were commercial I did tons of I, yeah. Machine. yeah. Yeah, I did tons of commercials. Um, I actually did, which was probably one of the coolest things ever. When I was eight, I got cast in an off-Broadway show that was at the Theater de Lise down in Christopher Street. And I don't even know if it's still there, but um it was it was the most amazing experience. Our director was Sal Minio. Awesome. What an amazing, amazing man he was. And Gary Sandy was in the cast. And I had the most fun because I love to do weird, creepy things. So I got to learn how to make fake blood. (laughs) And I would help make fake blood. And it was the role of a lifetime because for like one whole scene, I got to sit and paint a chair. And I love to paint. So I was painting. So it was like the best of everything. And you're like, this is for me. I Exactly. Great. Yep. Um, and Sal was wonderful. I mean, he threw me this huge birthday party surprise. And so, yeah, it was a great experience. When did the name change happen? That happened right away um, because Merkling House was like, yeah. you know, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't, you know, my and, and actually it was, um, you know, Dottie at dancing school. She was like, oh, just take your father's last name. You'll be Shelly Bruce. So, of course, it. going forward for years, the joke is my father's Bruce Bruce. So he's like, yes, I know. I'm Bruce Bruce. I'm Bruce Bruce. (laughs) That's really funny. Yes. Talk to me about meeting Andrea at that Millican auditions for what that was and the beginning of your friendship with Andrew McArdle, which ultimately really led to your, this most amazing Annie experience. Yeah. Um, She and I, we, we just kept meeting up on auditions and we just, it's like one of those things we just hit it off. Our moms hit it off. Our mom's birthdays were like day apart. They got along well. We got along well. And even though, you know, she was from Philly, I was from Jersey, but we were both going on so many auditions. And then probably when I was, I'm going to say maybe eight, maybe eight, maybe nine, but somewhere around there, she got me involved with um, uh, this this production called Tony Grant Stars of Tomorrow. And it used to be at the Steel Pier down at Atlantic City. And he'd have all the little kids and, you know, you'd do different, we teach you different performances and dances and stuff. But part of his, part of his rules, if you want to put it like that, were you weren't allowed to perform at the steel pier unless you did the other things that were required, which were going to the nursing homes and appearing at the mer- nursing homes for the people there. And I remember being introduced to this woman and he said, this is Sally Struthers. And at that point, I'm like, that's not Sally Struthers. She's not all in the family. That. This Sally Struthers was one of the original Ziegfeld girls. Wow. Yeah. And then Andrea, I started going to um, Andrea's singing teacher in Philly. In Philly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Russ Faith. So, I mean, our friendship was like set in stone back when we were like eight and nine. And now you auditioned for Annie when it was going to be a good speed, but you were not cast in that. No, I never auditioned for good. Oh, speed. you didn't. No. Wow. 
No, I ended up at Goodspeed because I had a broken arm and I couldn't do anything. And Phyllis was like, oh, why don't you guys come up and hang out and whatever. And I think probably in Phyllis's mind, she was kind of contemplating Martin. Meet, they need to meet her because yeah. she'll fit right in. And then when they were recasting some stuff coming to Broadway, pre-Broadway, I went up on an audition and that's when I got cast. Do you remember seeing it at Goodspeed? Yeah. Yeah. Um, vaguely, you know, it was, it was really, it was like a horrible rainy night. It was like torrential rains and we got there late and only saw part of it. And I had my broken arm. So I was probably not in the best mood. <laughs> I was like 10 years old and halfway through the summer, you break your arm. No, that is not fun. <laughs> what I'm sure you can imagine seeing like, you know, six girls on stage that are around your age. You're like, yeah. I have to be in this. This yeah. is. And what? plus, you know, I was friends with them. Yeah. You know, I, you know, there's girls up there I knew and I knew Andrea. So, you know, it was kind of like, and it looked like a really fun experience. And how many times will you find a show that has a bunch of other kids in it? Usually it's one kid and the adults, maybe an understudy, but you know, it was, it was the show of a lifetime to be able to be a part of. So can you tell me about booking it when you finally did get it? What happened? You know what? At that point, Annie wasn't Anything. Anything that, yeah. It was just a show and it was just like, oh, great. Andrew and I get to be together and hang out together. And, you know, Donna Graham and Janine Wayne, we had done Milliken together. So, you know what I mean? It was just kind of like, oh, this is all my friends. It's like a built in girls club. So I wasn't really, it was great because we weren't really missing out on a school experience because we had friends there and we all got along very well. I mean, to have girls, in, you know, from seven to 14 years old and we all got along. It was wonderful. You tell a great story in your book that once you booked it, that they were kept pulling back the rehearsal dates because they didn't have enough money to do to start rehearsals for the Broadway <laughs> run and the and the DC run. Do you remember yeah. any of those first few days of when you finally got into rehearsal? Um, I just remember like just being amazed at like everything because it was such a such a broad production. There was so much to do. Um, you know, the stage I had done in, you know, the little theater de lease in this little five person thing. And now here you are with all these blockings and you're in a room, you know, so there's no scenery, there's tape on the floor. So it was kind of like learning from the ground up how to do all this. Um, and then, you know, like when we, when we went to Washington, that was just insane because our schedule was crazy. We worked 10 out of 12 hours a day for 21 days straight. And the, the worst number of all was NYC because almost daily in rehearsal, they would change NYC. Uh -huh. So it was a 50, 50 shot, whether everybody remembered what today's blocking was and who was doing yesterday's blocking. And so, but I mean, we had the time of our lives. We had the secret service escorting us everywhere because it was like during the hostage crisis. So it, it was like, I mean, poor guys having to wrangle seven or eight girls oh was crazy. Could you feel that it was going to be a hit? Like, could you feel that the audiences were coming around it and saying, like, this is something really special? Well, like, everybody loved it at the Kennedy Center. I mean, it was like we became the toast of the town down there. You know, we were with the Carters at the White House. We were playing with Amy on the lawn. I loved reading about you hanging out with Amy Carter. Oh, it was White just, House. yeah, it, it <laughs> was just the best. And the Carters, they were just the sweetest things on the face of the earth. I mean, we got to meet Kissinger and you know, all these dignitaries that came to the show. And when you're that young, you don't really get it. Doesn't it doesn't resonate at all. And I look yeah. back at the pictures now and I'm like, wow, that was such a big deal. Like maybe it's a good thing I didn't know it was such a big deal because I yeah. didn't freak out. But um, 
yeah, you know, and, and it was, you know, it was great. My, my mom was with me the whole time. My grandmother came down for a little while, which was, which is really great. My mom had to go home, unfortunately, for a funeral. So my grandmother came and stayed with me and I was at the Watergate. I have little kitchenettes in the room and I don't know what people thought because she was cooking up sauce <laughs> and stuff and the whole, the whole hall smelled like an Italian restaurant. I love it. So yeah, it, it was just such a, such a great experience. And uh, like I said, you know, having all the girls around just made it so much more special. So Annie opens on Broadway and it becomes the Hamilton of its time. You oh know, my gosh, that, it was insane. And you girls were everywhere. You were doing every press event and doing the show. This was before they used to split weeks. So you really were yep. all doing eight shows a week and doing press in the morning and I'm sure up all yeah. night. Uh, what do you remember about those first few months on Broadway being the toast of the town and getting well, to be a part of it? It was like, you know what? And, and plus our show, Annie, is not a short show. It's with intermission. It's like two and a half hours. So you're not even done until, you know, when you're done, most of the shows have let out already and everybody's gone. But uh, it was like somebody flipped a switch. It was like you, like, it was like Dorothy walking into Oz where nobody knew who you were. Then all of a sudden, everybody knew who you were and everybody wanted a piece of you and everybody wanted you to do their interview and their show. So it was a little mind blowing at that age to be like, what the heck is going on here? Um, but again, like we had, we had the best time. We used to, um, up at the corner was the Broadway Arcade. We used to go there all the time in between shows. They were so great. They used to let us work the candy counter. Yeah. I mean, it, it was insane. Like we, it, you know what we were, and you know what the thing is, we were all nice, well-behaved kids. We weren't nasty. We weren't snotty. We were all really, and I think that played into why we got cast because Martin never really cast people for those parts or little girls for those parts that were pretentious or were like showbiz. He basically, I think he picked everybody cause he could see you were moldable. Like he could actually mold you and, and get you into the, the role the way he wanted it played. So we were all handpicked quite literally. I love it. Now, when you guys started, you were not the understudy for Andrea, correct? Right. Kristen, yeah. Kristen Bygard, who was actually the first Annie, Annie at Goodspeed, yes. Right. Right. Um, so she was brought back to standby for Andrea? Yeah. When we were when we were in Washington and stuff, she was kept to, she was brought back to do standby for Andrea. Oof, yep. that was, that's a tough dynamic. You know what? We, you know what? Nobody ever, nobody ever felt that way. Like mm -hmm. even Kristen, like. She was just like, hey, it's great. It is what it is. You know did what I mean? Did she go on ever on Broadway? Um, I think remember? she I think she did. I think she did one time. She did go on once. Yeah. Wow. It's so, you know, it's so long ago. I'm like, I know. It's like <laughs> I it just I had no idea that she had then done the Broadway company as a standby for the first six months. I yeah. just was like not part of the story that I had ever heard. It was interesting yeah. to read that in your book. So, so about six months into the run, kind of following the Tonys, is that when it started to, we need a cover and you're I it? think so. Yeah. It was kind of like, like almost as if like, I didn't know what was going on. Like they knew all, they knew this was going to happen. And I was just like, well, huh, me, <laughs> me. And you know, it, it was always funny. Cause I always thought to myself, how are they going to get my hair under a wig? Cause my hair is down to my butt. And I'm like, Oh, this will be fun. And then, um, Andrea, uh, Andrea went out away on vacation for a week. So I filled in for that week. And by the end of the week, 
I had gotten some type of horrible, horrible virus. I was so sick doing the last show on Sunday and they couldn't put the alternate on because she hadn't rehearsed or anything. So it wasn't like that was a viable option. Like you had to go on. I had to go on. I was, I was so sick by the end of the show that for curtain calls, Reed and I would come down the big staircase. And Reed, he carried, Sheldon, Daddy Reed Shelton, yes. yes. And he carried me down. He oh. carried me down the staircase because I, I had like 102 fever by that point. And I was just like, I'm going to collapse. <laughs> but, you know, you find your energy and you do it. Do you remember how that, that first week of getting to do it? Like, was it daunting? Was it exciting? Was it all of those things? I mean, I, I can't imagine. I think it was, it was, you know, I would think I was young enough not to have too many nerves, you know, cause when you're a kid, you don't really think past mm -hmm. that day. Um, I do remember, I do remember that I freaked out because Sammy Davis Jr. was in the audience and I was like, and I, I think like, I grew up, my parents, you know, I grew up watching Dean Martin and Sammy Davis. I grew up watching all of that stuff. My parents were, you know, they were gamers. They were old movie watchers. They're all this kind of stuff. And, and I was just always, I loved him. And I was like, oh my God, I better not forget a line. <laughs> I love, and that was in the week you were covering. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, and he a, was just, there's yeah. a great photo of you with him backstage. Oh. Uh, following that performance. It's so I, I just, he was like, it, it just personified everything I thought about him. It, when he, when he put, he put his, like he put my, my face in his hands, basically he just held me. And it's, and he looked at me and he's just like talking to me. And I must've been like, Oh, must've been like looking <laughs> like an idiot. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, this man's talking to me. <laughs> but he was just so sweet and so kind and and telling me what a wonderful job I did. And it was just, the, I mean, the experience of a lifetime with that. Did you think, did you have a hard time going back into your regular track after spending that week? No, no, no. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Like I said, and it was weird. Cause you know, when, when you, when you do a show eight times a week, you should really don't realize how much you absorb just automatically. So like any qualms I had about playing the role, it was kind of like, I hear it through the, backstage mics the whole time so it's just like i know what the next line is so that yeah. made it a little easier and then that no, was not a big deal going back to my role it was cool and then when did it start to come up that we want to we want you to be the next annie i guess i guess when andrea when they were talking about andrea going to open the production at the west end in london they were like like i didn't have to audition or anything i mean i didn't expect that so that was quite uh quite great there's a really interesting story that your your dad had negotiated this. They wanted to only give you four weeks and then see if they wanted to keep you another four weeks. Do you remember anything about that? I don't. I don't. I'm sure <laughs> well, my parents handled you. all that. <laughs> my parents, I'm sure my parents did all that stuff. My parents, you know what? My parents were always extremely, not overprotective, but protective of my interests. And that was wonderful because that kept me grounded. I mean, I remember um, we're going up in the elevator after the show. I was coming, I came off stage, whatever. My mom was with me. You know, she was meeting me. She came in and we're in the elevator going up to the, up to the dressing room. And there's a couple in there coming back to visit one of the, maybe Dorothy or Reed, Dorothy Loudon or Reed Shelton. And I said something and my mother backhanded me across the mouth, like a nice little flip right across the mouth because I mouthed off to her and the lady in the elevator goes, oh, you can't do that. She's Annie. And my mother just stared her right in the face and went, 
no, she's my daughter and she doesn't talk like that. And that was the end of that. And, but that's the way it always was. That's the way it always was. Even when we were in DC, I had a problem with my vocal cords and I went to an ENT down there and he said, she cannot talk for, I think it was 24 or 48 hours. It was not allowed to talk at all, not even whisper. And she told Martin that, and Martin said, well, you know, she only has the one line, you know, she doesn't have to sing or anything, but she has to do her one line. And my mother was like, you don't understand. She's not saying anything. Let somebody else say it. But you know what? I was blessed with parents like that, you know? Well, this is a like a really wild thing to take on as a kid to have that much oh, yeah. responsibility. And you're not supposed to have a job as a child. Like it's not supposed to work that way. Yeah. So for you to have to do eight shows a week yeah. and, you know, take on all the other press responsibility, there really has to be someone taking care of you at every, every turn. So you, you're the new Annie. It's like, it's happened. So you go back to the theater and you are now moving into a new dressing room, having a new life. Talk to me about that. What was that experience like? That was great. I yeah. mean, it was just, you know, it's like you're in the big leagues now, you know, but I kind of missed being with all the girls. So I was down in their dressing room probably as much as mine. But, you know, it, it was just, it was so much fun. And it was just like our, our cast, I mean, testament to our cast. Um, a few years ago, we celebrated our 40th anniversary up at the, um, the St. George restaurant up in Mohegan Lake. And, Everybody, everybody who was alive and could get there was there because just we just adore each other. Even 40 years later, 40 plus years later, we just adore each other. So, you know, whether it was me at 13 or 12 or whatever, going hanging out with the ensemble guys or the women or they adored us, we adored them. And, you know, moving into the big dressing room because it was on like the total opposite side of the stage up two levels. And, you know, so it was kind of like weird to be up there at first, but uh, it was, it was a trip. When you look at that year of doing the show eight times a week and all the press events, what moments sort of stick out is this is something I could never possibly forget. Went to a mall. I was doing an event at the mall with Santa and they flew us in in a glass bottom helicopter. It was amazing. I was like, this is cool. <laughs> and you were like in the red dress and everything. Oh like, yeah. 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 I was in the red dress with the, with the coat, with the muff, with the, you know, mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. And I was like, this is just too cool to be doing this. Did it ever so. feel like too much, the schedule? And for um, you, not you know what, you know what, sometimes, but you know, even though there was no, um, like no really strict child labor laws controlling all of that, um, our press agent, David Powers, he was, he was a godsend because he, he was very good and very on top of making sure that we really weren't overrun and run ragged. Um, he was very conscious of that. So as you know, again, you know, we were very lucky to have people all around us in production also that, uh, really understood, really understood what a toll it was to do the show. Cause as fun as it is, it still was tough. It's, you know, two and a half hours of being on stage and you know, whatever. So yeah. Now, like when you're, when you're wrapping up with that 12 months, like, you know, it's coming to a close, um, you're getting taller. (laughs) There's no denying that your, your days are numbered in that role. Exactly. Exactly. did you, were you starting to feel relieved? Like, okay, I'm ready to move on. Or was it, did it have to be ripped out of your cold dead hands? No, you know what? No, I, I never, I, you know, what? I, I never, I've not been that, I've never been that kind of person. Even when I was young, it was kind of like, okay, you know, this is cool. This is over. What's next. 
you know, it was never like I was really sad to leave because I was sad to leave my family there because yeah. I knew I wouldn't be seeing them all the time. I knew I wouldn't be seeing my friends all the time and the girls. And, you know, it, it was more of a, a feeling sad about that um, rather than feeling sad about leaving the role. The excitement of that is like a little bit of a drug though, to like run down those stairs every night and people oh, just yeah. stand up and you know, we're talking, it's year two, it's not year six. Like people right. are seeing yeah. Annie for the first time and oh, you yeah. are their Annie. Um, I'm sure it was quite well, magical. And and the thing, and the thing, um, and the thing about theater is when you do theater, it's not like doing a film because the audience reacts different. It's a different, so it's, it's kind of like a different nuance every time you're out there. So it's never the same show twice because an audience member says something, does something, laughs in a different place. There's always a different dynamic to it, like every single night. So, you know, and my, and I, and my going away party was epic. <laughs> Where did they have it? Um, oh my gosh. What, what was the name of the place? I don't remember the name of the place. I just, I just remember, I remember a couple of things. I had gotten my, um, we all had silver, um, Annie head. So it was like just the outline of the head with the two open eyes. Uh -huh. And I remember that was the night I got my Annie head with diamond eyes in it. Oh. And it was also one of the, I'm going to get emotional now. <laughs> one of the most touching things, and I still have it. And I brought it to our anniversary last time and the time before. Um, the cast had made me a gypsy robe my very own gypsy robe and they all drew on it. And it was great. Cause you have, you know, kids who are like eight years old drawing on it. And, and I, there was a, you know, there was a note in the pocket, like a, there was an Annie note in the pocket and it was just so special. I mean, Martin did my name and his, you know, indelible Martin penmanship and like his artistry. Um, and to this day, that's probably even more than my red dress, which is also here with me. I think, that's probably one of my most prized possessions because it was just everybody, my dressers, my, you know, anybody and everybody signed it, drew pictures and amazing, amazing piece of memorabilia for me. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Now, Sarah Jessica Parker replaced you. She did. <laughs> is that the wildest thing to see what happened to her life? Well, the funny thing is, is so rewind before Annie ever happened. I was hired to understudy her in The Innocence. In your first Broadway show. Yeah, yes. my first Broadway show. <laughs> and the funny part is, Harold Pinter, I believe Harold Pinter was the director. So I had broke, I still had my broken arm. And I didn't just have a broken arm. I had a broken arm that the hospital, it like it had moved. So they had like moved it and put pegs in it and like wrapped it up. So I, it was like a- It was like a, real, with a, a really broken arm. <laughs> it was a cast with a bump oh. where they had like, like, I'm like, okay. And I went and I auditioned and I had the broken arm when I auditioned. And I get hired for the understudy. I show up at rehearsal the first day. And he's like, what happened to your arm? And I'm like, you hired me this way? I'm like 10 years old. What am I going to say? <laughs> and Sarah Jessica was the girl. That's yes. so funny. Yes. So yeah. I understudied her and then, and then she understudied and me. And then, yeah. and then look what happened. And then, exactly. So Exactly. Wild. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but again, you know, like I say, we were all, we're all so close. I mean, you know, I send out funny texts. I, you know, Photoshop my dog for every holiday. And, you know, like I said, I still, I send her those texts, you know, we're still, we all still communicate. I love it. Keep it's so touch. cool. Yeah. Um, so following Annie, you kind of started this teen career and did a film and was doing lots of press events still kind of yeah. as the Annie. 
Well, and, Robin yeah. Finn and I went and did a show at Goodspeed called Long Way to Boston with Nancy Dussault. So in October 1981, your whole life changed and the rug was pulled out from under you. That's uh, an understatement. I yeah. mean, just wild yeah. to read about it. And I can't imagine what it's like to relive it. And I don't want to make you have no, to it's do fine. that. But, no, um, it's fine. Yeah. You know what? I, I, find, I find that by, and I have found through writing the book all those years ago and, and, and talking to people, even to this day who have read it. And you know what? I find if it helps one person, I'll talk about it all day. So tell us what happened. So I was, I felt, I didn't feel well. Like I felt like I had a flu, but it was going on for like 10 days. So my mom took me to my doctor and I was 16, still going to a pediatrician. Proud of that. (laughs) My pediatrician was like the most amazing woman in the world, Dr. Hoffman. And um, she sent me to the hematologist. They drew blood. And then between the time I went to the hematologist and it was like later in the afternoon, by the time we got home, my doctor had called our house, left a message and said, can you please call me? And she, my mom called her back and she wanted to see us, my mom and dad and I, she wanted to see us at her home. That does not sound good. Okay. Yeah. Right. And she was, and, and, you know, part of it was, she was such an amazingly caring woman. She literally sat while we were talking, crumpling up paper and throwing it on the floor because she was frustrated and she was upset for me. And she said, you know, this is what we saw. This is what we suspect. Um, And she said, if it was me, you know, I could send my kids anywhere. I could send them to the Institute in Texas. I could send them to Paris. She was the only place I would send them at Sloan Kettering. And at that point, Sloan Kettering was a private hospital. You couldn't just walk in off the street and say, hey, I need a doctor. And I was very fortunate because Dr. Hoffman was extremely like best friends since medical school with Dr. Murphy there. And Dr. Murphy, she was like a pioneer in childhood leukemia. And the next day, well, the next day, she's like, you have an appointment tomorrow morning. You need to be here. And we're like, what? what and like nobody slept that night you know it it was it was surreal it's like you feel like you're living somebody else's life it seems like so wildly unfair that that can happen to a child and it um it felt like your roommate and the other kids in the hospital kind of kept you moving forward um well yeah you know what you know what you know because you know people are like oh do you appreciate things more do you do this i'm like i've never been one that um I've never been one to take things for granted. I was brought up to appreciate what I had to help others. I was brought up that way. So it wasn't like a slap in the face. Hey, pay attention. Um, so as hard as it was for me, like the first, cause I was in Sloan Kettering for six weeks. So it was like the first almost week. I wouldn't say the word. I wouldn't really talk to anybody. And then one night, like probably nine o'clock at night, I picked up the phone and I called my girlfriend Lois And I told her that was the first person I told. And it was like amazing just saying it for the first time and admitting it. And then I think for me, it was actually, you know, you you say it's a good thing because like these little kids are all there thinking they did something wrong to get so sick. So for them, it was almost like they, they really like some of them were like, you have it too. Like you have leukemia, but you're Annie. Yeah. And it, it, it was like, it was so heartwarming to just be able to be that for them. 
And I mean, Andrea used to come up all the time after she was doing a cabaret show. She used to come up 11 o'clock at night. We used to go down the, down the cafeteria for sesame chicken out of the machine. And we would sit in the, we would sit in the playroom and make cookies with the kids. But could you believe that that was what was happening to you? That you had gone just like a couple years before? Well, you know what? It, just... it was like blinders. When that happens, like you basically put blinders on, like they had to take my name off my room. Because like people were trying to get up and, you know, and they, they had to like make me anonymous basically. Um, so, it, I mean, it was, it was like living in a movie. At times it was like living in a movie and it was a day-to-day thing. I had so many cards and letters, you know, the outpouring from people I didn't know. I mean, I had a call from three girls in prison. They're using their one phone call of the day to call me. And I'm like, oh, okay, what's this about? But they just wanted me to know that they right. were thinking about me and praying for me. And I'm like, this doesn't happen. And I mean, God, Ed Koch was wonderful. You know, he's never, never missed a chance to tell me he was thinking about me or, you know, New York's rooting for me. So it was surreal. Now you're, um, you, you tell this story in your book about going to the playroom and not being able to sing Ugh. and that you sort of lost this thing, yeah. which of course came back even better and stronger. But do you remember what that felt like? To, I do. Yeah, I do. It was devastating because it's kind of like, I guess, I guess maybe I just took it for granted. It was always, it would always be there. And it never dawned on me, like all the medications they gave me, um, some of them weakened like your strongest muscle, which for me, I wasn't a bodybuilder. I was a singer. Yeah. It was my throat. You know, that was my strongest thing. But I had one nurse, Maureen, and, and she was wonderful. She would let me in the playroom after hours and let me try to vocalize. And when I first realized that I went to vocalize and I, I couldn't sing without this really bad waver in my voice, it was shaking and, and just not having control of the one thing that I had always had control of. That was really rough. That was really, really rough to deal with. And, you know, little by little and as medications changed and stuff, it got better. But yeah, that, that was tough. What kind of things do you tell kids if you're talking to them now about your experience to sort of help them keep putting one foot in front of the other to, you know, to to not lose hope? I I think, I think the main thing is, is, is just one day at a time. You're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a good day. But you, you can't think that that day defines the whole experience. Um, I Two years into my treatment, and after the book was already basically kind of set in stone, um, I ended up back in the hospital. And I ended up back in the hospital, a very severe, severe case of bacterial pneumonia and almost died. Wow. And it was all, you know, all because of complications of the chemo. So I lived through being on a respirator. I lived through my parents being told, if I didn't contract anything in 24 to 36 hours, I'd pull through, you know, I lived with a doctor telling me had I not had the procedure to diagnose my pneumonia, I would have been dead in 12 hours. So, you know, at 18, that's just like, I didn't need to hear that quite yet. (laughs) Didn't need to hear. I mean, I remember being in ICU after the procedure and it wasn't the procedure that was dangerous. It was the pneumonia that I had that moved so rapidly. And I remember didn't have no idea I was going to be on a respirator. So now I'm trying to talk. I can't talk. And I see this gorgeous guy walk in and I'm thinking to myself, I'm dying. And my mother sent him to me. Okay. This might not be so bad. <laughs> he was a doctor, but who knew? I mean, a good looking doctor could always work out. In your I know. I know. So, uh, you know what? So 
And you know what? Being at Sloan Kettering was such a blessing both times because the nurses and the doctors there are, you know, above and beyond. Um, when I was in the first time, when I first got diagnosed and I was there for those six weeks, I had a diabetic reaction to the medicines I was being given and they didn't know if it was going to go away. The nurses used to let me practice giving like nothing in it, but giving shots in their arms so I could learn how to be a diabetic because I had to learn in case it didn't go away. So, so blessed to be able to be there. That is a lot to take on in high school. Yeah. When you were finally released for the first time and you were in remission and everything was moving in the right way, uh, a few months later was that Broadway Plays Washington concert. Is that? Yeah. um, That was, that was, that was brutal for me. I was so scared. (laughs) I was so nervous. That was the first time. Was that the first time you sang like in front of people after? Yeah. And Andrea, yeah. and Andrea was like, Andrea was a big catalyst. She's like, she needs to do this. She's always been, she's like my biggest fan and I'm hers. So tell us about Broadway Plays Washington. It was a, an Annie well, section and Martin introduced all the, at that time, all right. four of you, right? That right. Happened. One at a time. We each had a different song from the show we were singing and I sang maybe. And still to this day, that's probably like my favorite song. One of my favorite songs in the show. Gorgeous, and your hair is very full. And That's a wig. It's oh, not okay. my hair. All right. Well, least- <laughs> I had no hair. <laughs> I would have sworn on a stack of Bibles that my voice was quivering through the whole thing because that's what it felt like inside. But it didn't come through. But it was, yeah. I was like, "Don't fall. Get on the seat." <laughs> well, you, <laughs> you also know? like choose the hardest, largest dress to like maneuver. I love around. that dress. <laughs> That is such a great dress. Have you watched well, that recently? No, you know, it's hard for me to watch that. It really is still to this day. I mean, we're talking 39 years later. Yeah. You know, it's still it's still a little hard for me to watch it because it's it's emotional cuz you know, it's one of those touchstones in life. One of those moments in time where it's like and I'm a very um I'm a very sensory person. I can smell something, I can hear something, and it'll bring me right back to that moment. So when I look at that, like people will post it, you know, every so often it'll show up on, you know, my Facebook or something. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch that. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 not today. (laughs) Because it's just emotional. Yeah, I'm sure. Did you go back to regular high school or did you, how did you navigate that? Um, Yeah, I went back. I went back my last year of high school. I went back and just... Went to regular high school. Yep. And then what was going to be your plan? Did you, did you want to well, continue well, to pursue? I didn't want to go, you know what? I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I wasn't planning to go right to college that year, which was a good thing because that's when I ended up getting the bacterial pneumonia and was mm-hmm. back at Sloan for 10 days. Oof. So, you know, I guess for that, that was a good thing. 
And then once I, I guess, and again, it was October again. I was like, I don't like October don't like very October. much. <laughs> so, um, but that next, that next winter, like that January, February, um, I ended up starting to sing with a band and just absolutely loved it. And over time was with three different bands before, you know, finally was having my son and, and that kind of stuff. But I loved being with a band because it's, it's a different freedom because you're singing what you want. You're moving, your blocking is all yours. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of like where I moved from there. I did, I did one show after I got out of the hospital. Um, the Ruby like Healer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, that was probably the most amazing part of that was actually meeting and spending time with Ruby Keeler because she was just the sweetest, sweetest thing. There's, I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the pictures on the face on my Facebook, you have to, because sitting on her lap and just hugging her and she was just the sweetest thing on the face of the earth. And, you know, that was just, that was wonderful to be a part of that and actually get to meet such an icon. We have to talk about something that is so strange that I'm obsessed with, <laughs> uh -oh. which is the <laughs> growing up Broadway uh, menstruation oh, no. video. No, I'm sorry. no, 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 no. Can we not talk, talk about, about it? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've mentally blocked that out of my mind. It is so wild. And I forgot. I actually forgot I had done that until. So just to catch the people up. It no. is it is it is you kind of going back to hang out with a group of orphans to talk about getting your period. And you're 17, I think, at the time. And it is so I'm like, what? How did this happen? I don't even, you know, I there's a generation even, of women yeah. who are have, that is seared into their mind. Like yeah, you yeah. explain menstruation. It just, was a PSA. I yeah. mean, it's me to do it as a public service and I was like okay I don't like talking about these things with anybody not even myself and you want me to talk about them on camera oh okay. my god yeah I kind of blocked that out and I honestly the funny thing is years later and I mean like years later a friend where I used to live says oh my god my daughter just was in school and she like and I'm like oh I forgot all about that it's like I there were so much other things going on in my life. Of course. You're <laughs> like, this is a one-day menstruation video. We can move, right? Um. I, it was just insane. I don't need, I honestly, I think I, I think I mentally like blocked it out. All right. We don't have to talk anymore about it. I have you, a copy of it too. And I still won't watch it's it. It's on YouTube if you <laughs> no! want to watch it. Okay. Um, you're very, you're actually like so sweet and warm and um, it, it's actually better than you think it is. <laughs> But you've been honored by so many organizations and you've given back um, so much in your career. What do you mm -hmm. think it is about how you were raised that you felt like that had to, you had to uh, share and help and, and do that? Um, my parents and, and my grandparents, they were just, they were that type of people, you know, they were down to earth people who, you know, I wasn't rich growing up. I didn't have a lot of money. I, you know, we did what we did. We lived within our means. And, you know, my parents taught me from very early on, you know, you're polite to people. You say, thank you. Just the basics. And they never tolerated me being um, snarky mm -hmm. or being nasty or being mean to anyone. Like they never, they never ever tolerated that. Um, and they really, they really ingrained that. Like I had, I had a friend that I had a fight with, a really good friend I had a fight with. And then there was a third friend who was friends with both of us. And I was like, that's not right. I had a fight. And, you know, they explained to me at like nine or 10. No, he's glad to be friends with both of you. You didn't have a fight with him. He didn't have a fight with, her, you know. So, you know, it was just the way I was brought up. And 
the people I hung out with and the people I were friends with, they all, you know, Andrea and Janine and like all the girls, even in the business, we weren't pretentious. We weren't, you know, we were all brought up to be like that. And I'm sure there is some level of, I'm so happy to be alive and I want to do good things in the world that you carry with you when you've had an experience like you've had. Well, I remember um, Sloan Kettering was doing a big celebration of the day hospital because the day hospital was only like X amount of years old. And so I was newly married and I probably got married in April and this was in I think November. Um, They're having a big celebration of the day hospital, but they had workshops too. So if you had any questions, all the different workshops surrounding different issues that people might want to know more about who had been treated. And I remember I signed up for my husband and I signed up for one on um, child, you know, getting pregnant and having children after all chemo and radiation and all this stuff. And we signed up for it and the day comes and we go there and I get to tell Dr. Murphy I'm pregnant. (laughs) Like, I guess we don't need that seminar this time. (laughs) It's still like full circle. Like, yeah, you know, uh, what a a gift. Was there a moment where you sort of decided I'm not interested in pursuing musical theater or acting and I'm going to do other things? Well, you know, I think I hit a point um, when I started working with the bands, I really liked that. And that was like a new thing for me and a new outlet for me. And I did that for like a number of years until, like I said, my son was born. Um, and then I really was, I was focused on my son. And I think, I think I, I really thought about the realization that in the business, like you could be as good as you want to be, but you're actually, you're a piece of meat. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you're on the market. And, you know, if, if you're already cast as, let's say, you're already cast as the husband and I'm supposed, you know, but if I don't look the if right Nothing's type, in your control. No, yeah. no, nothing. And I think that, uh, you know, like I had done, I mean, after I was sick, I did Wizard of Oz at West at Valley Forge and Westbury Music Fair. And I had, a, oh my gosh, Billy Berloni, who did the dog for Annie, mm-hmm. did the dog for there and had a friggin' 23 pound dog and it's theater in the round. So the dog can't go up and down the aisles. I got to carry this dog (laughs) up and down and up and down. So, I mean, it was fun, but you know, after that, I think I was just like, I want to raise my kid. I just want to be peaceful. And I didn't have time. I honestly just didn't have time. I was raising a baby and I wasn't, you know, I was down in kind of central Jersey. Do you have moments now where you're like, I can't believe that was my life. Like, I'm sure there must be little helicopter moments where you're like, there are different. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? There are different little things here and there that, you know, you think about and you're like, wow, I did that. Like, I mean, there's pictures. Oh my gosh. One of my other favorite pictures in the book is with uh, Muhammad Ali. (laughs) And when he came backstage, because a lot of the celebrities, they come back after the show to say hi to the cast and whatever. And I don't know why he picked me, but he picked me. He grabbed me. He dipped me back, kissed me on the cheek and stood me back up. And I was like, I look like I was so, and I really was dazed. Like when you see the pictures, it's like, (laughs) I was kind of like dazed. I'm like, well, what just happened? That was Muhammad Ali. That's so cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, Henry Winkler sat down with us for an hour on the stage. All the girls just talked about theater. So you think about those experiences and you're like, wow, that was my life. That's insane. What does Shelly Bruce now do? Tell me about what your life is like now. Um, have a real job. <laughs> yeah, I have a real job. <laughs> is it weird that you're like people you work with and people you come in contact with, are they ever like... Uh, very surprised to find out about your first part of your life. Well, you have to understand the company that I work for. I work with my, uh, my friend, Rich, who him and his brother, Bob 
we grew up together. Like we were friends before we were born. Like our families were friends. Our older uh -huh. brothers were friends. So he's the one who told me, oh, come on, come work here. I know you don't understand this or this, but I know you, you'll learn it. So he makes sure he fills everybody in on me. Okay. The minute I walk in a room or the, and somebody new gets hired, he makes sure he fills them all in on me and everything. So another one of my like best friends and greatest fans. So, uh, yeah, it just, I can't get away from it. You know what? I think, I think probably for a while, especially after being sick, I probably did try to get away from it for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when, you know, where I live now, one of our neighbors, um, their kids was doing, they're doing Annie junior at the middle school. And like, he's holds his teacher who I was, I was mortified. I was like, Oh my gosh, why did he tell anybody? You know, cause only a couple people in town knew it was like the best kept secret. And I think that really was a turning point for me because the teacher was like, can you come in? Can you talk to the kids? And I'm like, Oh, these kids are probably going to think I'm lame on this. They couldn't have been more amazing. You're talking about middle school, you know, yeah. seventh graders, eighth grade. And they were just the best medicine for me because they're like, tell me what this was like. Tell me what that was like. And I was like, wow, there's just such a thirst for theater and performing where I am that it really was like, okay, you know what? I think this is something I need to actually kind of like embrace. And uh, I got yelled at by a lot of my friends <laughs> because they found out at, at the production at the, the middle school production, when the teacher brought me up to thank me so many friends after that, I think they wanted to pummel me. You're like, I oh, had no idea. <laughs> yeah. What do you, is about Annie that is so special that we're talking so many years later and there's just as many productions as there was, you know, yeah. it's, it's a phenomenon. What do you think it is about the story and the role in the show that has made it such an iconic uh, experience? Well, I think, um, I think they were Martin and Tom and Charles, I think they were able to create a little slice of Americana for lack of a better word. I mean, it was set in the depression era, but you don't ever have to change that to update it. Mm -hmm. You know, it lives in its own world like that. And it's got a little bit of everything. You know, it's got a little bit of mystery. It's got a little bit of like, like tension and, and a little bit of violence, you know, you know, it's got a little bit of everything. And it's written, it's written, like I say, like Sesame Street has always been written. It's written on multi-levels. So kids enjoy it and adults enjoy it. Yeah. So you have that where the whole family can enjoy it. And, you know, kids and dogs and Christmas. I mean, that'll never get old. Yeah, it's it's a perfect musical. And it's certainly and the optimism. Yeah. I mean, optimism. the optimism. Like when, when you think about this little girl who just like did not give up, you know, it didn't matter what you said, you know. She's just like, oh you, oh, you want it this way? I'll do it this way. Oh, I can get, you know, it's just, it's that perseverance. I think that people want to be a part of Yeah, that really kind of keeps this show at the forefront. And I'm sure some of that is just in your DNA. And so when you have your things that you have to get through that you're like, have the Annie brain switches in, like, yeah, I got to keep going forward. There's no backwards is not a direction. Oh for, yeah. For that oh, little yeah. girl or you. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, Shelly, I'm so glad to be able to catch up with you and meet you. And as a huge fan of Annie my whole life, it's just, it's a thrill to get to chat with you. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. We have to do Obsessed. What are you obsessed with right now? Oh boy. What am I obsessed with right now? Okay. Well, I got my first Jeep Wrangler in June. So I am totally obsessed with that. All right. It is Mojito Green and her name is Tink, short for Tinkerbell. Okay, I'm into I'm it. I'm totally obsessed with Nintendo Switch. Well, I've been playing Nintendo games since I can't remember. That's what I brought into my marriage. I brought my Nintendo system with me. <laughs> obsessed with Animal Crossing. 
All right. So I'm an Animal Crossing freak, obsessed with crocheting. I love to crochet. My and you sell me. you sell your stuff online, right? Yes. I do. I do. I have uh, my company is Amethyst Soteria. And um, yeah, I do custom blankets, scarves. I've really gotten into the blanket end of it. I love doing blankets because people come to me. I just did one recently where uh, somebody wanted an Aladdin-themed baby blanket. And I'm thinking, ooh, I'm not that intricate to do all the swirls and all that kind of stuff. But I worked with the woman. You know, I'm like, you know, you have to have input. And we came up with a beautiful, like, all the beautiful rich colors because the couple, their wedding theme was Aladdin. So the, the colors were just like the blue and purple and the golden. And it's so much fun creating that. So it's a really a creative thing. I love it. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, my grandmother teaching me and then, 10% of all my purchases goes to Sloan Kettering for pediatric cancer research. Well, so that is incredible. We'll make sure to, we'll give the link at the end of the episode and all of that fun stuff. Oh, great. My obsession this week is the Queen's Gambit on Netflix. So if you're interested in watching a six Oh, wait, that's yes. the, is yes. that the, the chess? Yes. You know, I just, I started to watch the uh, first episode. I saw the teaser for it. Stay in. It is so good. Oh, good. This, this girl is incredible, but the storytelling is amazing. And she's like, she's Annie. She's an orphan with an extraordinary ability. And uh, awesome. she takes over the world. So Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Check it out. Awesome. All right. Are you ready for the Broadway Workshop quick fire questions? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Just You'll be fine. The first thing that comes to your mind. Favorite holiday? Christmas. First Broadway show you ever saw? Oh, what's the first Broadway show I ever saw? Might have been Annie. <laughs> right. I like Probably that. Was. Um, one thing about Andrew McArdle. One thing about Andrew McArdle. Oh my goodness. She is my heart and soul. What would your superhero power be? Oh, my superhero power? Mm, do magic. Like, like Harry ooh. Potter magic. <laughs> what do you want on your bagel? Oh, my bagel. Well, hmm. Well, if I'm in if I'm in North Jersey, it's Taylor Ham Egg and Cheese. All right, I'll take or that. butter. Or butter. Um, did you have a pre-show ritual? Well, there was two different things that I would do. Um, one was either, I was very bad. I used to sign in for half hour and run up the street to Gallagher's and order a prime rib. And so I'm sure somebody was waiting for their prime rib a little longer because they knew I was like, had to be at back for you know the show. And I used to eat a that eat a prime rib at half hour before yeah I'm, I'm one of those weird like people are like oh i can't eat before i sing i'm like no, no bring, bring it on either that, it or on. I, either that or i go to the deli around the corner and get like a quarter pound of roast beef sliced in and some salt packets and go back to my dressing room and eat. <laughs> oh my God. yeah can't help it <laughs> um strangest fan interaction oh i think the strangest creepiest one i ever had was i did a saint patrick's day parade in jersey city i was only 15 i think 15 or 16, maybe 16. Yeah, 16. And they had like a young kid being like the security guard or whatever. And he used to show up at my house. He used to like drive by my house. And it was like really creepy. And then when I was in the hospital, because it was only, you know, six months later or whatever, I was in the hospital. He tried to get up to my room. Like he rented a police outfit, tried to get up, to, which is one of the reasons why it led to like take her name off and, you know, and, and they had to like sneak that. you out the back when you left. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was probably the strangest thing. Oh, that is very strange. Yeah. Who do you talk to most from your Annie days? Andrea. Worst audition you can remember? Oh, two of them. <laughs> Never had eat anything on my auditions until it came to the two things that I have the most disdain for in the world, which was pickles. And another one was like 
canned spaghetti. Oh. I grew up in an Italian, Irish Italian household. We don't do canned, canned spaghetti, spaghetti and canned sauce. But I remember the pickle commercial. I'm sitting there going, oh, God, there's a pickle there. So you had to take a bite. You had to make believe you're going to chew it and then swallow or chew it and swallow it. So I made believe I chewed it. And I'm sure they must have seen a chunk go down my throat because I never chewed it. I just swallowed a whole chunk of it. Didn't book either commercial, of course. Um, what orphan should Patty Lapone play? Patty Lapone. Oh, she should play. Let's see. I say she should play Pepper. Yeah. She I, could be tough. I think that's the right answer. Um, yeah. If you can have dinner with one person, who would it be? If I could have dinner with one person, who would it be? Oh, boy. You know what? This is really corny. It would have to be two. It would have to be my grandparents. Yeah. I miss them. That's so sweet. Yeah. Um, can you name two real housewives? No, I don't watch it. Never have. Never seen an episode. You know, 90% <laughs> of my guests cannot. Um, but it's uh, it's in every question. Um, biggest celebrity meeting at Annie? Who's the biggest oh. celebrity? Wow. Um, gosh, we met so many celebrities. I think Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Well, that, you know why? Because she was Tony Orlando. Somebody was saying something when Tony Orlando was there. I don't know why, but they were saying something about Streisand and he turned around and he stopped them in their tracks and said, don't you dare say anything nasty about her. She's the sweetest woman on the face of the earth. And then like a few weeks later, she shows up at the show and she had a fur coat over her arm the dog started barking at her coat because he thought it was another dog. And what did she do? Picked up her coat and barked back at the dog. Of course. So yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And also like there's funny girl and hello Dolly, like backstage oh, yeah. and Annie. It's so cool. Yeah. Exactly. Um, when was the last time you sang tomorrow? Hmm. Last time I sang tomorrow. Um, I think it was last year. All right. Um, Andrea and I, Andrea and I are part of something called, um, um, Project Positive Choice at um, a middle school in Rockaway, New Jersey. And we go and we talk to the eighth graders every year. And yeah, we'll sing tomorrow during the General Assembly together. God, that is very cool. Yeah. What did you think of the 1982 film of Annie? Which one was that? The, the real one with Aileen. And you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't Annie from Broadway. Yeah. You know, they added the cartoon characters back and it was a lot darker, you know. So it, I really don't compare the two because they're really pretty different. Tell us one thing about working with Martin Sharnin. Oh, he just was like dad to everybody. He was just dad to everybody, always accessible. Um, he was wonderful. If you can go back in time and see any Broadway show, what would it be? Any Broadway show. Hmm. I think I'd like to see a chorus line. I never saw a chorus line. Who makes you starstruck now? Oh gosh, who makes me starstruck now? Oh my goodness. I don't know. I don't know if any, you know what? I don't know if anybody does. Um, I think probably, I would probably have to say like the Hanks because as big as celebrities as him and his wife are, they're just down to earth people. You yeah. know, they just seem to be like, like, you know, salt of the earth, like normal people mm -hmm. and not pretentious or like, look at me, I'm a celebrity. So I think maybe them. Have you ever seen Annie Warbucks? No, I don't think I ever saw that. All right. No. Um, do you do any impressions? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, do you have anything from Annie in your home? We kind of hit that, but what, what are your keepsakes that you have? Oh my goodness. Probably one of my 
probably one of my most awesome keepsakes is back in the day, the Daily News had a cartoonist, a cartoon Basement Bertha. And Basement Bertha was a sports cartoon who would do sports stuff in the Daily News. And Basement Bertha came to apparently review Annie. Bill Gallo was the artist and he did Basement Bertha, Bertha Goes to Annie. And it's hysterical. I have the original storyboards that the cartoon was shot from for the daily news hanging in framed and hanging in my basement love it and they're all and i thought it was absolutely hysterical because when he drew it because i knew everybody from the daily news i mean the photographer sandy sandy here i mean like he helped me buy my first camera so i knew everybody from the daily news i was hanging out there all the time and i thought it was funny because bill drew me as kate and he drew me as annie in the cartoon so i'm like doing dual roles in the cartoon uh, tell us one thing about the White House. Oh, wow. They have a bowling alley in the White House. <laughs> that was the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> okay, we have two more questions. If you could relive one day from your childhood, what would it be? One day from my childhood. Um, I, you know what? I think it would be, I think it would be the Tony Awards because that was so cool to meet all those people that I had seen on TV and Jack Albertson. And, you know, I mean, like all these people that you saw on TV just hanging out together and having fun. And you guys all performed Never Fully Dressed, right? Yeah. The, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. also a very iconic yeah. uh, moment. Yeah. All right. So on Thursday, it's Thanksgiving. So what are you thankful for? Um, I'm thankful for my family, for my parents, you know, for for being surrounded by such wonderful people my entire life and having such great role models that uh, they really, they really shaped who I am today. And I'm grateful for all of my friends and family now and my husband, my kids, you know, the kids are awesome and they're all grown up and big people now <laughs> and have jobs and everything. Um, but, you know, I just, I'm so grateful to be here yeah. and to be able to live my life and experience all of this, you know, I have wonderful friends, wonderful family. So well, I'm so thankful that you took the time out to talk to me and be part of the Little Me podcast. Your story is so inspirational to so many people, and I'm so grateful that you're here and you're healthy and that you, you continue to help other people uh, through yeah. the, the trials and tribulations of their lives. And um, yeah. tell the people where they can find out about you or purchase a blanket or any of that fun <laughs> stuff. Well, I am on Facebook, Shelly Bruce on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram, although I have a little different handle on Instagram. It's Wiccan underscore witch. Okay. So that's my, you know. That's for part that's, B of the podcast. I do. Well, yeah, yes. you know, I like astrology and stuff. And then um, amethystsoteria.com. Right. And the own. link for that will also be in the notes for this episode. So yeah. you can just click on it and check out what yep. Shelly Bruce is up to. Yeah. Um, and that's on Facebook too. My blanket, you know, the there's Amethyst Soteria on Facebook too. Get a scarf, get a blanket. Yeah. All the things. Shelly, thank you so much. Have a great, hope 2021 is great for everyone. Oh, me too. <laughs> um, I'm so glad that we met. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're very welcome. It was so much fun. And everyone who's listening at home, make sure you follow the Little Me Podcast on Instagram at Little Me Podcast and follow me, Mark Tuminelli at Mark Tuminelli on Instagram. Uh, thank you. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network, and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash littlemead. 
And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.